0: Welcome back to Around the Wheel with Brett Tax, myself, and today with Kip Kyler. Kip is a newish, new adventure rider who's trying to get his bike set up to be just ideal for him.
1: All right, Kip, what are we talking about tonight? I would like to talk about bike setup given the fact that I am large, uh, actually tall. I guess we can talk about large and tall bike setup, please.
0: Well, this is a fantastic topic. This one actually comes up a lot when I'm doing the adventure camps. We do an ergonomic setup. A lot of focus is put on short riders, but very seldom do people focus on the really tall riders or, or the larger riders because they just assume because they're bigger, it's easier to handle the bikes when it tips over or anything happens. And that's true. But man, is it awkward trying to ride a bike when you're a superhuman size. That's true. What's your experience level? Just so everybody that's listening kind of has an idea of where you're coming from.
1: So most of my experience is on street riding being uh, large touring bikes. And after saying, oh, I want to go off road a little bit, I went to a much smaller, uh, it's, it's a Husqvarna 701. And now the bike doesn't feel comfortable. What other
0: bikes have you ridden off-road, adventure bike style? Is this the first one, or have you had any
1: others? I do have some dirt bike experience as a kid, long time past. I did have a GS, a 1200 GSA, and we went off-road. That was great, but as soon as we started getting, the more more off-road I got, the more unwieldy the bike got, i.e., my skills right so <laughs> so saying you know if I'm really going to get into the, this off-road I think I need to have something maybe a little more down towards my uh, skill level hence the, the 701 feels a lot better as far as being able to handle it pick it up do all of that but while riding it, it felt cramped I've made some adjustments now I'm getting to where I'm starting to question the suspension too so I'd like to understand what the things I've done right now, are they correct or need to be changed? And where do I go from here?
0: Okay. So let's start off with trying to get some idea of what we're dealing with. How tall are you now?
1: I am six, four and a half.
0: And your inseam, do you
1: know? Yes. It's uh greater than 37. It's closer to 38 inch. Oh, wow.
0: You are very tall in the inseam. And then yeah. what's your, what's your weight now? I don't care if it's geared
1: up or naked or however you weigh yourself. Ungeared, it is 242 with absolute full gear. It's approaching 272. Okay. And then do you run luggage on your bike? I will from time to time. I want to go moto camping slash ADVing, but most of my day rides are solo with uh, very minimal gear. So that's a topic for suspension when we get there.
0: Perfect. Okay. Now let's, uh, let's bring uh, myself and everybody else up to speed. What have you done to the bike, and then what are the results of that?
1: What are we still dealing with? So I've got the stock risers. On most bikes, you can flip them forward or reverse. So I flip those forward to move the bars as forward as possible in the stock position. Not enough. So I added some risers at 1 and about 3 eighths inch, those also being having a forward or backward orientation. I put those in the forward-most position. So now that opened up my cockpit a little bit, and I rotated the bars just a little bit forward. Still don't know if that position's okay. So that's what I did with the handlebars. I did add lowered rider pegs, and the pegs that I found were actually about an inch and a quarter, inch and three-eighths lower, so quite a bit lower. That's what I've done so far to open up the cockpit, if you will. Cockpit area. Yeah, exactly. And then have you changed your seat or your stock seat? So I did put a seat concept seat on there. And I know that there's a a tall and a regular seat and an XL seat. Given my uh, weight, I decided to go for the XL seat, which is a stock height, but it is an aftermarket seat.
0: Okay. And then anything with the suspension?
1: In order to get it to ride without getting, you know, moving halfway through the suspension with sag, I cranked the stock preload adjuster as far as I could. And I'm, and I'm right at about three inches of sag, which I think is correct given the 10 inch total travel it has.
0: Perfect. So we're going to come back to suspension because that's the thing that we're going to need to focus on the most from here. Okay. So my take on this, a couple of things that, Again, anybody who's listening to this, who's of your stature, your height, will probably understand this. We are dealing with a bike that is not designed for for humans of your height. So no matter what we do, we're trying to make the best of a situation that, that can't be made a hundred percent, right? Because we're talking, as you mentioned, your, your whole goal here is to create more space in the cockpit. And so you have a couple of options. If you sit forward on the tank all the way up where you're supposed to be, then you're, you're very crowded. And, of course, the the fallback, especially for riders coming from the street, is to end up scooting back on the seat. But then, of course, our bike is not balanced. It doesn't steer very well. And then we have new problems. So definitely what you're doing is is 100% in the right direction. And you're doing it in the correct steps, meaning you started by going, let's do what we can with the stock. Rotate the risers forward. Perfect. You rotated the bars up. And that's a helpful. And when I when I talk about rotating bars up, one of the things I, I try to mention to riders, and this is something we may be able to do that's going to help for you. But when the stock bars rotate, I look to make sure I don't create a V formation. If you if you stand next to the bike and look across where you line up, basically line up the two tips of the handlebars, and you're looking across to those, one cancels out the other. What I'm looking for is is the inside of the grip. Above, below, or level with those outer points. Basically, if the outer parts of the bar are high, we've created a V. If they're low, then that's a street riding posture, which is how the bikes usually come from the factory. My goal is usually to run level. So the inside of the hand grip and the outer tip are actually the same height. And then I know I'm level. And that just means that your grip posture is going to be correct. or Your grip position is going to be more correct, more naturally. The next step that you mentioned was, of course, adding risers. And one of my complaints and and issues, I'm going to do an entire podcast, in fact, several videos on risers. But one of the complaints about risers is people usually go to the block risers, which you didn't do. And the block risers, they raise the bar up, but they also pull it closer to you. And what a lot of riders aren't keeping in mind is that, yes, you're taller, but that also generally means your arms are longer. So we don't need as much correction as we normally believe. And that's why risers are, are usually something that comes a little later in the, if we have to make extreme adjustments and at your height that often occurs, but that's one of the last things I look at. I try to make handlebar changes first and the Husqvarna is pretty flat to begin with, but they do have anytime you get a dual sport, they can have more sweep where the ends of the handlebars are coming towards you. One of the easiest ways to gain access to or space in the cockpit for any rider is to replace the handlebars where they have less sweep, where the bars are as flat as possible. And I I don't mean from height, I mean towards you running away from you and that gives you extra space. And then also your, Your point of rotation or pivot where they attach to the handlebars is also still correct. So your steering doesn't feel all wonky because what you've done is put the risers on where you can rock them forward. This is much better than the risers that come towards you or go straight up because now you can kind of plumb, you set your handlebars to the kind of plumb to the, the bike, but they still technically sit slightly forward from the stock rotation point. And that makes it kind of a funky steering feel. Do you feel that when you're riding
1: your bike? Not too much. Um, I do have the bars rotated slightly above level. I started at level and and went up just a little bit. Yeah, I can feel that when I'm in the standing position, I start to get pressure on the outside of my palms. So I stopped there. But no, the bike doesn't necessarily feel like it steers any different.
0: Oh, good. That that's fantastic. And that's and if you're plumb, that should be pretty good. I, again, being a 701 with a very heavy. Off-road focus, the rake on that can be fairly steep, and it can it can feel kind of wonky very early on. So I'm glad to hear your bike is not doing that. So definitely, the only thing we really have left on the handlebars that you haven't mentioned is trying to go to a flatter bar, something that has less sweep to it, and that allowed to come forward. Going back to something I just mentioned a little bit earlier, talking about taller body, but also the longer arms is that most riders, I believe, that put risers on, or at least when we've had discussions, usually at the camp where we're taking them off, is because they're looking for comfort when they're standing straight up. The issue with this is when we stand, we stand when things are challenging. Either I want more vision so I can see farther down the road, which is, that's fine. But generally speaking, if you're comfortable enough and that's a comfortable standing position, you can also sit down and ride. So it's not that big of a deal. You should be in an aggressive position where your upper body is is now hovering slightly forward over those bars, and that puts a little bit of bend in the back. But you're not going to do that endlessly riding down gravel roads. The problem with being straight up and down and having risers that make you comfortable when you're standing straight up and down is you're right at the tipping point, which means if something catches you off guard. If you twist a little extra throttle, you hit some gravel, something of that nature, it can throw you off balance to the back of the bike. And now you're holding on and we end up with a whiskey throttle scenario. If I have to air one side or the other, I would air by putting you into a, a, an aggressive position. I don't mean aggressive like you're racing, but aggressive like being in maximum control of the bike in challenging situations.
1: So I think you're probably not too far off from that. Right. So when, when I stand up straight legged on the bike, obviously not when I'm riding, but just in the garage, I'm standing straight legs and I put my arms towards the handlebar, but not bend at all. There's about a three inch gap between my palm and the actual hand grip. So I, I do have to bend over to make up that three inches, which puts me in a kind of slightly bent knee forward shoulder position.
0: Perfect. Yeah. It sounds really good overall From from what you can do. In the situation you're in, I think you're you're spot on. Again, the only thing I can recommend at this point is just, can
1: we get a flatter bar that's going to work for you? So when you talk about flatter bars, I think you're talking about the angle at which the grips raise are lower from the inside to outside and not the actual rise or distance between the top of the triple tree clamps to actually the, the hand grips.
0: Yeah, I, I'm talking about sweep, exactly. So if you were to take and put a broomstick and lay a broomstick straight over the top of the handlebar, what I'm talking about is those end pieces, the end of the handlebars should be moving towards the broomstick to make the bars flat across. So yeah, you're correct. I'm not talking about rise. Obviously, we're, we're looking for as much rise as possible in your scenario. So we're just talking about pushing the bars forward without changing the mounting point or using risers to rotate.
1: The, the bolting point forward on the bike makes sense. So when, when the handlebars are level, meaning I can look across them and the, the, the grip looks level, they should be angled more straight across and not like a broomstick. Yeah. Got it. Okay.
0: Yep. Otherwise, otherwise if you grab that, you know, that same broomstick, if it was flexible and you kind of pulled it towards you, that's the way handlebars are formed normally.
1: Is there a brand or thickness or type that you do recommend? There, Well,
0: there's a lot of different brands. Obviously, what I look for is what's going to fit on the bike, how much control space is there. That's something to keep in mind when we start talking about, especially bikes like the the KTMs, the BMWs, things where they have a lot of switch gear. You have to have enough control space. That's one of the first things to check for. On the bar and the 701, the controls are fairly minimal. So you, you have a lot more opportunities where you can get more of a dirt bike bar rather than an adventure bars. And adventure bars, they come back, I think it's about 19 degrees, is about somewhere in the OEM range. And as you move forward, you end up with 15 degrees or less. And that's what we're talking about. I do know that the flex bars that I have on the, The 1200 that I use, and they're a very expensive bar. So I'm not, I'm not throwing you there. They have different advantages, disadvantages, but I believe those are around 15 degrees and they're just about as flat as I've been able to, to find the KTM. I had the same issue you did, and I'm only six foot. And I ended up going to the pro tapers pro taper had ironically, the bend was called Husqvarna OEM was, was the bend. And it was the flattest bar. And again, we're talking about that broomstick, that straight across that I could find that had the control space to
1: manage all those extra little controls that go on there. So do you know what, what degree I can look for? You say 15 is about as good as it gets. Can I get to a 10? That's the best I found. I would just do some research on that
0: all right, so the next thing you did was drop the foot pegs. You did a very significant drop and, yes. and again, this is definitely the next thing on my list after handlebars. I go handlebars first for position or replacement, then I go foot pegs, then I go risers. So that's kind of the order that I recommend for for tall riders. And then the last thing is that seat. And mostly the taller seat that I recommend is more about reducing the fatigue level from standing to sitting because you're changing the angle of the of the bend at the knees and a lot of that has to do just with comfort for the rider when they're sitting forward on the bike so you've kind of done everything you can with the motorcycle that you have that's kind of the reality now where we can start making another another change of course is in suspension and we are obviously way behind the power curve on that yes When we talk about sag and preload, what many riders don't understand is that preload does not make the springs stiffer. We talk about sag, but sag cannot be discussed independently of the springs and the spring rate itself. Because if I, let me explain it this way. When we do sag and we add preload, preload is basically putting a block to make up the space for the sag. If you sit on a spring and it squishes down four inches and you, you wanna actually be at five, you're essentially putting a one inch spacer, so you're up to five inches, but your spring is still compressed. What we're looking for is a spring that when you sit on it only compresses to five inches, just to put a random number out there that has no relevance to our discussion here other than a visual aid of what we're trying to accomplish. But when we start making those springs compress more than they're designed to be compressed, when it's all the way down and you're using preload to make up the ride height, now you're riding on a spring that is well past its ideal working range and working load, and then they often feel very stiff. And that's where we get that sense that, oh, the spring is stiffer because now the bike's riding more harshly you will actually find when you put a heavier spring in, meaning a a higher spring rate to support your actual weight and load, you'll have a softer ride because the spring is working within its ideal working range rather than working too hard. You're not pulling a a one-ton load with a four-cylinder. Now you've got a a diesel (laughs) pulling it. So it can just relax. It doesn't care, it doesn't notice. And that's how your springs are. So once we get those springs up to speed, that's going to make a huge difference both on ride height, but also comfort. And you're going to feel much better control when you're off-road because you're you're less likely to have the front end push or wallow,
1: depending on how that is set up. And spring rate, when we talk about the, the preload and stuff that I've adjusted, obviously this bike only has a rear preload adjust. And given the the weight difference from the ideal rider that typically rides that and me, uh, I'm thinking that both fork springs and rear spring need to be adjusted.
0: Yes. The rear is more important than the front in the fact that that's where you're putting all your load. Now you're putting all that luggage and stuff on the back that it wasn't designed for. So that's the first one that's going to make the biggest difference, but absolutely doing them as a set is going to be, it's the only way I would ever do a motorcycle. It's the only way I would ever recommend a motorcycle. Now there is a way to preload on the front. If your spring was okay and you just didn't have quite enough preload in there, but the spring rate was correct, you could actually pull the forks apart and add a spacer in there. But that's not going to be perfect. Right. On springs. So let me give you one uh one thing to consider as your shopping for a a spring or or componentry to do this with. The springs are the cheapest way, by the way. One of the biggest takeaways or the biggest improvements is going to be just spring change as opposed to really high-end, really expensive, complete suspension overhaul, which you may want to do in time. When you're shopping for the spring, manufacturers produce products that the consumers ask for, but not necessarily what consumers actually need. What this means is we have an idea in our head, what we think the bike should feel like. And essentially you want to be nice and firm and you feel like you're always in complete control. Seems reasonable. In reality, we want a little bit of flex. We want some movement in there. The whole idea of that spring or one of the primary jobs is to isolate you from all of the impact that you're riding, all the rocks, all the roots, everything else. You want a spring that's compliant enough to do that. If it feels like a couch, but you're not wallowing, that's kind of a win. It's less fatigue, it's more comfortable, it's more fun, and you actually have more traction to compensate for often what they will send me versus what I want. Paul does the same thing. He's the other instructor that, that always teaches with me. But what we end up doing is we find out what they recommend and then we drop it by one. So we go one softer than what they actually recommend. And we find that usually puts us kind of in an ideal range. So the bike will feel a little, a little slightly less stable, but you actually have more traction and stability in reality.
1: Because the suspension works more.
0: Because it can work more. Because I'm not being bumped around. The springs are doing the work instead of everything else. The deflection of the tire isn't, doing as much because the springs are doing more because you know you have tire deflection, you have springs, then it goes to you and your legs and your arms and everything else. We kind of work down this. There's multiple levels of suspension and, and shock absorption, but we want the springs to do as much as possible, but that means they have to
1: be soft enough to flex and move. Make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Now, how do we go about choosing the right spring? <laughs> Absolutely great question. My experience,
0: I've worked with Race Tech uh, quite a bit down out of California. They produce their own stuff that I like. I mentioned them because you can go online and they have often a chart that'll recommend what spring they have. So you can kind of come up and go, what's the spring rate they recommend? And it often also lists the OEM spring rate. And you'll see there's a variable in that because one of the things you get in high-end springs or aftermarket springs is tighter tolerances. Even if I buy a spring that is the same spring rate as the OEM, I'll still get better performance out of an aftermarket spring because the tolerance, it's more likely to be exact. The the correct spring rate instead of a variable, also a lot of times I'll use better quality metal that's thinner and lighter. So it makes less unsprung. There's less less moving around in there and less likely to have coil binding as well on full compression. But any of those companies, even tour tech, obviously they're third party to things, but they do very well for matching up like their suspension. Uh, obviously, owens they're going to focus on complete shocks along with the springs. If you go to an actual suspension person, if you have anybody local, They should be able to go through. They'll end up contacting the manufacturer and they'll go, here's the weight, here's the bike, the manufacturers, the engineers will usually give them a recommendation. And then again, I usually go one notch below just because consistently I found that the, the things they recommend are a little too stiff. A warning would be only if anybody's listening to this, keep in mind whoever you go to, what is their background? Because most suspension tuners focus on performance, they're looking at motocross. They're not looking at light trail riding. They're looking at road racing, not necessarily uh, what we're doing. And those have those have different inputs coming off a jump. Motor, tri- you know, that's a lot of impact. So they have to have heavier springs because of that sudden impact. If you're on road racing, the cornering speeds that they're going through, the amount of force going in that spring is tremendous. We're old guys on dual sports or adventure bikes, you know, meandering along on a gravel road or some forest service roads at a much more conservative pace. The other thing a tuner doesn't know is exactly your riding style. If you're a very smooth rider and you're very good about picking clean lines and very smooth lines, you can ride with much softer, more compliant settings, both your rebound and compression settings, your spring rates, because you're so much smoother. If you're a rider who goes faster or you just plow through things, then they're going to have to compensate by having more compression rebound or uh, more resistant to motion. And they're gonna have to have heavier springs to compensate for that riding. But that also means you're gonna give up traction elsewhere. They don't know what those differences are. And then on top of that riding style, you also have personal preference. So this is the challenge we have when we start talking to professional tuners. The other thing that we have to ask is where did they get their information? Was this because they were just figuring it out on their own? Were they trained by a company or corporation? A lot of guys, much like adventure trainers like myself, hang a shingle on the wall and say, look at this, I'm an expert, come play with me. So we do have to ask questions, we do have to consider, ask other people what they're. What their experiences are, you can take a look at books like the the suspension Bible that Paul Theed put out. Uh, Lee Parks and uh, he wrote it, but Paul Theed is the the mastermind behind the information. He's the owner and founder of Race Tech. There's also several other you know suspension books that are very good to read into. And the more you know going through the door, the more educated you are. The more you understand what you want, the easier it is for you to help guide them or to realize whether you're getting the right product
1: or the right results. So when, when you mentioned the taking the recommended rate and then making it one selection softer, does that accommodate me for being the old slow adventure guy?
0: Yes. That's kind of my takeaway. And obviously I ride at a higher pace than most of the people I train. It's not that I ride fast. That's not it. But I ride consistent. It's my, that's my comfort speed. But I also ride very smooth. That's my entire mantra. That's what I teach. It's how to find the path of least resistance, less energy that I'm using, less impact on the bike, less wear and tear on the tires. Don't trash my environment. That's the way I ride. That's what I teach. That helps me, keep those softer suspension settings, even though I ride at a higher pace than you'll probably be riding. But yes, by dropping down one notch over what they recommend that usually will put you right around where you're gonna go. This is really plush, this is comfortable, this doesn't beat me up and I have much better traction. And when we get back to where we started with this, the entire conversations, how to set the bike up when you're a superhuman like you, when you're larger than average, when you're taller than average, And I'm glad we landed on suspension because it makes such a difference on your confidence as a rider when that bike is, when it has better traction because it's suspended properly. When you can be in the proper riding posture, the proper position because your controls are where they're supposed to be because you can move around on the bike. So this is just often something people don't understand the value of, is having the bike set up properly.
1: So when selecting the springs, and we went went through that and the recommended rates and go one softer, I have another concern that is about the different loads that I will have based on what I'm doing with the bike. Meaning, when I'm just out for a trail ride, it's just me and some repair tools. When I go up the Washington BDR, I'm going to have a full load of camp gear for an extra 40 pounds. So I'm thinking maybe a preload quick adjuster just to make up that difference for that trip, or how would you go to make it variable? There's two schools
0: of thought on this, and I've subscribed to both depending where I was in life. One is to split the difference. I generally, when I started weighing my luggage, my panniers, the racks, all the stuff I added to the bike when I went on a trip, it often would run up 100 to 150 pounds extra stuff that was being packed on the bike, and that's water and food and everything else. And I split the difference. I just went 75. So I went my body weight plus 75 pounds, and that meant bike would be a little bit oversprung if I'm on my own, slightly undersprung if I was loaded. I just kind of made the difference the other direction to go. And this is where I, I usually end up going now. And that is what situation do I want to have maximum control of the motorcycle? As an example, we're street riders, probably more often than we're dirt riders. That's adventure riding. We have to get there. Do I care that it's ideal for the pavement or ideal for the dirt? For me, it's pretty easy to compensate for pavement if my suspension isn't ideal. So I focus on the dirt. The next thing is, is it ideal for the bike being empty or is it ideal for the bike being loaded? So now I end up looking at what my current average load is, which is less than the 150 because I don't tour as much. I I teach, I lead the tours, the training tours and such. So I have a little less of a load. So I set it up for that average riding off-road, challenging conditions, carrying tools, water for customers, for students, a winch on the bike. So those things, and I set it up ideal in that situation because everything else I can compensate for, it's forgiving.
1: So you're thinking that preload adjusters are not that useful or probably wouldn't adjust them anyway?
0: If you're making significant changes and you're changing your suspension completely, then it does make sense to have a remote adjuster, especially on the rear. The front isn't going to change that much. Again, your load, your significant change in load is going to be on the back of the bike. All all the gears going on the back, right? Exactly. So that's where we're really making the change. So if we can, and again, thinking of preload, preload is really a leveling. It's a way to level the attitude of the motorcycle. So at that point, whether the suspension is ideal or not, if you raise the back of the motorcycle and it goes back to level, then your steering comes back in the line and the bike tracks better. So you're gaining better traction all the way across the board. So that's why the preload is on the back of the bikes, uh, touring bikes and, and such. If I'm replacing the suspension totally, then uh, absolutely having a, a preloader adjuster or a remote adjuster can be worth the, the expense. But in your case, if you're going, I don't ride that fast. It doesn't make that big of a difference. Currently, I don't know if I want to invest in that or this is a transitional bike. It's something I'm going to have. I'm going to get my skills up. I have something in line down the road. Then I would probably just take my, my factory suspension, change the springs, get it set up, see how the bike performs, and then go from there. Because it's such an inexpensive improvement with huge, dramatic results.
1: New springs and go ride. That's what I'm thinking. And a flatter handlebar. And a flatter <laughs> handlebar. That, that'll yeah. be on the agenda, yes. That's it.
0: I mean, you've done great research. I, I really kept you have done a, a much better job than the, than the average. I certainly, if I had photos of you, if I could see you riding, if you're training with me, once I see you on the bike, and once we correct your riding posture, if there's correction needed, once that all comes into play, then there may be changes that will happen. Anybody that's listening, that is important to keep in mind is that your setup on your motorcycle may evolve with you as a rider. Kip here is talking about changing the springs and going riding. That's awesome. But he may find as his skills improve that that stock suspension, those springs alone aren't enough. Now it's time for full suspension change or may decide that maybe there's a a whole different bike that's going to be more ideal. It's okay to do that. It just gives us a reason to keep using that credit card. It's an addiction. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's worth it. There's a lot worse addictions we could have. Absolutely. And there's still more space in the garage. Or you just keep buying bigger shops, right?
1: There you go. That too.
0: Hey, Kip, I, I really appreciate coming on the show today and sharing your experiences and your concerns. And I appreciate all of you who are listening to this for tuning in. If you enjoyed this uh, Around the Wheel podcast, then you know, please feel free, if you're not already a Patreon supporter, this is a... A free podcast there's no monetization how do i say that monetization, monetization monetization yeah there you go basically i'm not making anything on this I'm only paying to host it and put it up because i want to help writers like Kip and help writers like you so if you're interested in, in in helping keep this alive please jump on patreon and contribute a few dollars there if that's outside your budget then by all means just tune in gain the information go ride be safe and share it with others thanks again Kip Thank you for the input, Brett. I appreciate it.